0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode number four of the Conspiracy Analytica podcast. I've been getting some incredible feedback from people who have been loving the shows I've been doing here, so I want to thank all of you who've been tuning in and are subscribed to the channels where I post these shows. You can find this podcast on Podbean, and as of now, it's also on Apple Podcasts. We'll see how long that lasts. I also upload these podcasts to BitChute and Rumble as well. The channel name on those platforms is simply Conspiracy Analytica, And don't forget that you can find Conspiracy Analytica on Instagram and Telegram as well. Those are the two social media platforms I have associated with this brand. I don't quite have the website up and running for it yet, but that will be done within just a few days, and you can find links to everything I just talked about there. I do also appreciate the financial support that some of you are offering. You should be able to find links on how you can support this podcast right down below wherever this video is posted. Your help is crucial in keeping these shows running. Now for today's show, I invited on Justin Deschamps of the Stillness in the Storm website. He is a brilliant mind and we discuss the formation of discernment and epistemology, which is essentially the study of how we form the knowledge and beliefs that we hold. The knowledge of knowledge. I've been following his Stillness in the Storm website since about 2013, so a long time actually, and I credit Justin to really helping me get my original YouTube channel running back at the end of 2016. Without his assistance, destroying the illusion never would have gotten to where it was, so the least I can do is bring him onto my podcast five years later. Anyway, I think you're really going to enjoy this talk. We get into some deep philosophical concepts surrounding knowledge discernment and beliefs and i think for those trying to form better discernment and better critical thinking skills this discussion will be enlightening for you now without further ado let's get to it justin Deschamps, stillness in the storm how you doing my friend
1: doing great jordan thanks for having me
0: it's an honor to have you on here again it's kind of come full circle you know because i know a lot of people out there listening to this aren't aren't maybe familiar with how I got started or where I got started, but I attribute you and your stillness in the storm website to really getting me started with a YouTube channel about five years ago. Can you can you believe that? Five wow.
1: years ago. It does not seem like five years. That's crazy.
0: It does not at all. But Fair. yep. I remember writing those those articles for Stillness in the Storm and figuring out that I suck at writing. So I might as well just do the YouTube thing. And I think I was talking with you one day. We were just DMing each other on Facebook and uh you helped me come up with the name Destroying the Illusion and really got me going on YouTube. So much appreciated, my friend.
1: Hey, you got it. I had no idea I had such an influential role. We yeah. all work with each other, you know, so that's cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for those out there, before we get into the, really the meat of the discussion that I want to have with you today, give, give the people out there a little bit of background behind who you are, your Stillness in the Storm website, maybe some other work you're doing. What got you into all of this uh, content creation?
1: Well, back in 2010, I discovered uh, that c- cures for cancer were being suppressed through watching the Gerson Miracle movie, and that totally unraveled my reality. Um, I was an atheist before that. I you know, just assumed that all the authorities in the world were true and that everything made sense, and that, like I said, it unraveled my reality. I started to really question a lot. Spent about three years just researching everything I could get my hands on, probably I don't know, like 10, 12 hours a day of research, just nonstop. It was like an obsession, like a lot of people. And then um, in 2013, I started a podcast and uh, we created a companion website, Stillness in the Storm, to go with that, to just post what we were talking about. And then that took on a life of its own. And um, so I've been still really heavy into all sorts of very interesting research, law, psychology, sociology, community building, That's kind of like my big thing right now um but i you know i've gone down every fringe rabbit hole you can imagine oh i know um, you
0: have man i was (laughs) i came across stillness in the storm in 2013 and and you know our our beginnings into all of this are very similar i came across a lot of cures and big pharma information a couple of years after you but i came across stillness in the storm probably very early on 2013 and it was instrumental in helping me figure out what's left from right in our world, and everything going on. So, great work there on that blog.
1: Yeah, thanks. It's uh, it's been awesome. So, um, right now, stillness is still a thing of posting more political news on there. Just tried to narrow the the niche a little bit for many reasons. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, I've got stillness. I've also have into the storm on rise.tv. That's kind of where all the the more deep interesting like let's pile as many cool things on the conceptual workbench as possible and see what it means kind of uh show is all about so we're talking about a lot of cool stuff there doing a series right now on i'm calling it the ultimate plan of the draco it's kind of like the ultimate origins of evil and where does this come from why does the cabal exist what's the ultimate agenda how are we combating it how does god play into this like what are we supposed to do all that kind of stuff um that's on into the storm and then um yeah, I've got my lives I do every two weeks. I'm going to be starting to do more of those here. Uh, I've got my partner, um, my managing editor for Stillness. He's he and I are going to start doing more shows together and videos and stuff like that. So where are those live cool streams going to be? Uh, I'm doing them on Rumble right now. YouTube gotcha. was kind enough to ban me for the year. Obviously, so that's nice. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing something right, I guess. And uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, so yeah, that's where I'm at.
0: Cool, Rumble, awesome man, and yeah. Uh, when I came across Stillness years ago and I started researching your information, reading what you had to offer, I was very impressed in how big picture you are with a lot of these subjects. You really dissected each little uh, piece of a story and your discernment techniques were, or your discernment capabilities, abilities, I should say, were top-notch in my opinion, which is why I wanted to have you onto this podcast to discuss really uh, your philosophies and your understandings of discernment, of of knowledge as well, and epistemology or or how we form knowledge. So I don't even know how to get into this conversation because it's it's such a broad one with so many different uh, aspects that are necessary to cover that are crucial right now because so many people are trying to form their discernment. They're trying to figure out what's going on, you know, figure out who they can trust or not trust, or or what does this all even mean? Where would you start? What would be the first thing that you would tell somebody who is, who is maybe new to all of this within the last few years, really getting into awakening, trying to figure out how to discern how to figure out the truth is, what would you tell them?
1: Well, I'd say first, um, we can probably start talking about like, why we seek for information period like why why do we care about information and knowledge and what's the social utility that well at a personal level we're looking for knowledge and we're trying to find out what's true because it's going to help us in our life like if you want to be a chef if you want to cook a loaf of bread if you have wrong information to draw from you're not going to cook a good loaf of bread so you're not going to be successful in life so you might say that the single greatest resource anybody has to live a successful, happy, productive, amazing life is true knowledge. That gives you the, the accurate map to, to govern your life. Um, and then at a social level, knowledge is it's, its interesting, it's different. It's true knowledge is still important, but true knowledge is less valuable than um, socially agreeable knowledge. And every truther knows about this, right? You find some amazing facts and you're like, oh man, I found about cures for cancer. I can't wait to tell all my friends. You tell everybody and they think you're nuts and they tell you to go, you know, jump off a cliff. Right. Why is that? You would think everybody would want to know about the truth, you know, right? Mm -hmm. Well, not necessarily because as social creatures, we are, we are half animal, half spirit, you know, part spirit, part animal, and the animal part of us needs to have beliefs and values as the common thread that links us, you know? So if I tell you that there's a cure for cancer and you are in the camp of believing there are no cures for cancer, then by entertaining the concept that there might be cures for cancer, the claim you're going to be walking off of the non cancer cure camp, basically Mm -hmm. team. And that activates very ancient, intense psychological systems in the brain that basically motivate us not to do that. And that's where you get the like glazed look from people's eyes. So um, I think those are some essential building blocks to kind of think about before we get into the more kind of nitty gritty, like how to discern fat parts of it. So, um, uh, and why does that
0: happen in people that they get that, that glazed look in their eyes that fluoride stare, if you will, is it, is it fear? Is it ego? Is it, a base drive of sticking in their comfort zone? I mean, what is it with people? Why do they tend to stick with these illusions so vehemently?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, the, the short answer is that without beliefs, without something to believe, then you don't know how to make sense of your reality. So you need beliefs to help you make sense of reality. Um, you need a common myth, you know, like what does a couple tell themselves? They often remind each other about how they met the things that they are important to them, et cetera, et cetera. That is a kind of belief mythos, a kind of cultural glue that keeps a relationship together. So as social creatures, we are connected to other people, whether it's your neighbor or your significant other or people at your work or people you never met before, but you feel like you're a part of their social group because you believe in the same things they believe. Those help us maintain our social connections. And basically at a, there's two types of people. You could say there's, there's somebody who's gone through the spiritual initiation of actually wanting to know the truth and being willing to sacrifice their beliefs to claim a greater truth. Mm-hmm. And those are the people who, who ideally are going to be open-minded when you tell them something new. It's like, Hey, Jordan, I just found out about this thing. You know, um, the you know, I'll use a funny one. The earth's actually uh, shaped like a soccer ball. You know, you're going to be like, "Uh, all right, dude, but I'm interested because I want to know about the truth. What do you got for me? You know, right. That's that's the person who's actually seeking truth. Another person is really the, the knowledge is not about truth. It's about what they need to believe to feel okay with themselves and founded on that what they need to believe in order to connect with other people. And so the vast majority of the human population is at that second level. Yeah. They're believing what they need to believe to connect with other people. And that's why when you tell them things that don't drive with their beliefs, they have a kind of an unconscious, knee-jerk, animalistic reaction of you're wrong, you're crazy, blah, 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 blah.
0: And you could insert so many different subjects, I mean, endless amount of subjects on belief systems that people feel like they need to buy into because it is their basically their livelihood. It's their sense of self that's being sacrificed if they don't buy it. Great example right now is the COVID cult. So many people feel like they need to believe what they're being told about COVID or, you know, their whole world's going to crumble down around them. You could also insert a variety of different religions here, a variety of different belief structures, people, uh, things, people like people feel they need to believe or else. What are they going to believe? Right? So Mm -hmm. now let's get into, you know, okay, say somebody had this certain belief and they're getting questioned about it, and they're beginning to tear down those constructs in their head that they formerly believed. How does somebody begin to unlearn what they thought was true and relearn? And how does somebody come to a sense of, I guess, groundedness in themselves while tearing down these parts of their ego, these belief systems that used to be, I guess, their identity
1: Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Well, at at a personal level, every belief has two basic parts. You have the thing that you're believing in, like the COVID, we'll use the COVID narrative, right? COVID is real, blah, 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 blah. Dr. Fauci, everything he says is true. You know, the mainstream kind of COVID believer. Right. Well, that's the belief you actually think of. But then the, the part that's kind of hidden is, well, what supports that belief? Where did that come from? Like, that's all the stuff in the background. And that's the stuff that's going to get If at a personal level, if you're trying to figure out, switch a new belief, you got to identify those things because you believe things for a reason. And it's often not clear what the reasons are. So you need to get at the heart of that and try to ferret out all those little details. So if, if you can identify the basis of the belief, like, well, I believe the COVID narrative, ask yourself why. It's called an epistemic regress, which basically means you're trying to get to the bottom. So you're asking, well, why do you believe that the COVID narrative is real? Well, then what's the answer? You write that down. Well, I believe it because I saw on CNN or I saw on MSNBC that there's this thing called COVID, blah, 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 blah. So then you ask, well, why do you believe that what they said is true? And the more you do this, the more you're going to be peeling back layers of the onion and you're going to get to the bottom. And the bottom is basically you're not sure because unless there's only there's a handful of things you can be pretty damn sure about. And Rene Descartes identified one of them, which is that you can't really even be sure that you're me and you are talking to each other right now. How do I know I'm not dreaming, right? I can't really be sure that I'm even Justin. Maybe I'm, you know, in Maybe this dream you're a clone.
0: And, maybe, and maybe I'm a, I'm a mask clone. On.
1: Who knows? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you once you recognize that there's doubt, then you want to fill in that doubt with some best best guesses. Basically, you can come up with. Well, I think that the COVID narrative is true because I heard on MSNBC. And I assume that they know what they're talking about. But what's their basis of, you know, what's their, where are they coming from? What's their research? So the more you start to ask these questions, you do a forensic analysis on whatever it is, the belief that you're trying to ferret out, you're going to get contradictory data invariably. You're going to get either um, a hole or, like, oh, well, it turns out that the CDC said that, you know, there was XYZ number of deaths. Associated with this, come to find out, when I looked at the data myself, it was only six percent of all the deaths they said had actual COVID were people who had um, no comorbidities. In which case, you know, it's a little sketchier. So, um, so yeah, as you can imagine, when we start to talk about things, it's it's hard to talk purely about the concepts because it's so abstract. But the basic idea is that a belief is something that you can, you're interacting with the, the the surface level. I believe this, and then it's behind that all the the evidence the argument that's where you really got to do your work and ask well why and be honest as much as you can and work with other people that's a great thing to do too and they'll they'll help obviously so let's
0: use johnny example here johnny example used to believe a lot of these mainstream theories this establishment propaganda johnny example is tearing down his his former beliefs realizing a lot of what he used to believe is nonsense is untrue how does mr johnny example begin to learn discernment learn the ability to form new beliefs that are more true than his
1: old beliefs that he was given great question all right so first off you're going to ask yourself why do you believe that thing right Let, let's mm-hmm. use an example like let's say you told uh, johnny example <laughs> told me that um if I went to his house, he was going to give me 50 pounds of rice. So that's a claim, right? I don't know. He's saying this, but I don't know. So all statements of belief are basically claims. Right. So I go and I go to his house and I'm like, okay, where's this 50 pound bag of rice? He said I was going to get, it turns out he doesn't have rice. He has quinoa. Well, now I know that when I talk to Johnny, I have to be extra careful because I initially had good faith in him that he was telling the truth because I had no reason to doubt him. But when I went to go test that, I qualified it by redoing research and looking. Now I know that he may not be trustworthy for whatever reason. Maybe he's lying to me. Maybe he just doesn't know what the hell rice is. And he thought quinoa was rice. So there's all different sorts of answers. But basically, you're going to go through that process of investigation. You want to identify the claim. What is the claim? And the claim is basically a description of reality. And it's attempt to describe reality. Like if I tell you, Jordan, it's raining outside right now. Well, I just described a piece of reality. So if you go to that piece and you look with your own eyes, if it is raining, then, you know, okay, well, Justin's right on this, you know, and now you've got a piece of evidence to link with my claim that supports it. Uh, But what if it's not raining? What if it's the sky's blue? Well, now, you know, I'm wrong for some reason. And then you want to keep asking, well, why am I wrong? Am I wrong because I'm lying to you? Am I wrong because I thought, you know, I was thinking about the day before? So with all sorts of reasons, you're going to get all this evidence. And basically the task is to weave that evidence into a complete picture. The end goal is that all the information you gather should be linked together in a complete narrative or process. And that's one of the cool things about discernment is that it takes untruth and turns it into truth because you put it in the right category. You know, if I tell you that the sky is, uh, if it's raining and you go and look outside and it's not actually raining. It's clear. Now, you know, that piece of information is a lie, but because you put it in the category of it's a lie, now it becomes part of the truth, which is that the statement is no longer true. It's a lie. So all, I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but that's basically what it
0: does. And discernment is, it's not an external something that's given to you. I often hear and see, people suggest that you have to look outside yourself to a book or a deity or what have you for mm. discernment, but it's an internal process and it's something
1: to be honed, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's external in the sense that you got to get the information from somewhere, mm-hmm. right? But the work is internal. I mean, if you think about it, uh, I'm sure you've seen the like conspiracy movies or stuff where or detective movies where there's a bunch of pictures on the wall and he's linking like the pictures with string and all this kind of stuff, right? (laughs) That's (laughs) literally
0: the thumbnails I make for this podcast. So yes, you're going to have your face on on your own little wall for this thumbnail.
1: So yeah, you think about that image. And if you think that, you know, the data is outside of you to a certain extent, but when you observe it, when you research it, it's in your possession. Now it's inside of you. Mm -hmm. And the, the string is you, you're creating the links you're in possession of those links. So when you do research, you're creating a personal database, a personal narrative. And that is completely yours. And it does, it's a skill that takes fine tuning and honing. And, you know, just one little thing. I'll be the first one to tell you that there's a lot of schools of thought out there that are either cabal infested or filled with sophistry and like you know, corrupt people, things like this. Religion is one of the biggest ones. Mm-hmm. But almost every body of information you can name has some kernel of truth to it. That if you do the work of researching it, you can digest out and ferret out what is true, what is not. And now you've gained something in the process and, and you gain true knowledge, but you've also gained skills. And that's the second one is like invaluable. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And you said do the work there. It, it's an effort
0: that is required to hone that discernment. It doesn't just come to you, it's not something that just appears in your lap and then boom, you have this magical discernment. Um, you, you need to put in the effort of researching, of building that internal database to then hone your discernment and experience getting things wrong and getting things right. So you know, you know how your intuition will feel in certain situations. And something you were also mentioning a minute ago uh, that I wanna get into here now is that you were describing how, well, you know, Johnny example going over to his friend's house to get that 50 pound bag of rice ended up being quinoa. Now, his friend might have been uh, genuinely misunderstanding and thinking it was rice. Maybe mm-hmm. he wasn't intentionally misleading you, or maybe Johnny Example's friend was intentionally misleading. He knew he didn't have a 50-pound bag of rice. He just told you that to get you over to his house. So, this is actually a, I think this is a term I first heard heard of from you years ago, maybe you know four or five years ago, but... You described how there's a difference between a useful idiot and you described it as a conscious deceiver. Mm. So can you discuss what a useful idiot is, what a conscious deceiver is, and why it's important to differentiate between the two when you do realize that you are getting misinformation from a source?
1: Mm. Yeah, a conscious deceiver is somebody who knows at a conscious level that they're trying to mislead you. Um, willful, willful. Yeah. They, they know that they're going to, you know, you ask them what, what time is it? You looked at your watch, it's 1130, you tell them 1230, just because, you know, whatever the reason is, the point is, is that it's conscious, you know, what you're doing, or the deceiver knows what they're doing. Um, a useful idiot is somebody that is, has been misled by their gullibility, by their failure to discern, And as a result, they are a link in a false web of lies, something like that, or a web of lies, Mm -hmm. you know? So for example, everybody who watches CNN and believes what they're hearing without a second question, those are useful idiots, you know? Um,
0: Granted, the people on CNN might be conscious deceivers. They could know that they're putting out misinformation and doing it for whatever agenda, but the watchers of CNN we could say the majority of them don't realize that they're being fed misinformation. They're just, you know, their egos or their fears are tied into believing these narratives. And then they go on and they spout the propaganda elsewhere.
1: Precisely. Yeah. You nailed it. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. exactly what I was going to say. So, yeah, you want to know the difference because well, a couple of different reasons you have to be able when it comes to discernment, you have to qualify and uh, rate, you might say the source of information you pull from. Um, there's no perfect source. You always have to question. And you're not questioning because you assume they're lying. You question because you need to know the basis. If you don't know the basis of why this thing is true, then it's effectively just a piece of dogma to you. You know, it's like an, uh, it's called extrinsic knowledge, meaning it's outside of you. So if you tell me that, you know, a a recipe for uh, cooking is a really good example of extrinsic knowledge. I give you a recipe for how to make uh, a white chocolate ganache for, um, a Genoa cake. you don't know why those things work together, but you know, if you follow the recipe that you'll get an end result, right? So what extrinsic knowledge is useful because you may not have time to figure out how to create a ganache, but it's a dangerous if you can't check it. So it's a telephone game. If, if you tell me the wrong information that spreads easily, if you don't question it as a receiver, then you could pass out misinformation and then you you would be a useful idiot and you don't you know. Hopefully nobody wants to be a useful idiot. So. Mm-hmm. Right, right.
0: Yeah, good explanation. And we, we don't want to be useful idiots. But when you come across, say, a, a personality or a talking head, maybe in our movement who's creating content, they don't realize they're being useful idiot and they're promoting misinformation. You have to give them the benefit of the doubt and you have to be compassionate with them and say yeah, it's okay, you know, I understand. You, we go. we all can't be 100% knowledgeable of 100% that's out there. We're not omniscient, but on the other hand, you know, speaking to you who's been creating content for almost 10 years now, 8 9 years, and myself who's been doing about doing it about 5 on the internet. You know, we can only use the useful idiot excuse so many times. And I don't know if you see this, but I know a lot of listeners out there will know my opinions on certain things. Uh, we have a few we could call them influencers or social media content creators, people who have inserted themselves into this movement as leaders. But man, their their discernment's actually pretty bad. It's <laughs> their discernment is not very good, and yet mm-hmm. here they are, you know, acting and professing themselves as leaders. I mean, do you have any thoughts in this? Do you see any irresponsibility from people within whatever niche it is? You know, I know you get into politics like I do, but you're also interested in some of the more esoteric realms and and UFO disclosure, things like that. So what say you on, shall we say, the irresponsibility of some of these influencers out there?
1: Well, first of all, uh, I really like what you said about benefit of the doubt, like, um, You know, I think we got to give people benefit of the doubt uh, for many reasons. Um, One is that if you lead with accusation, if you're prejudicing, assuming that they are something nefarious, Mm -hmm. then that make that coffin creates fires that are really hard to put out after the fact. They can. So, you know, that being said, though, you know, we're living in a world where learning how to be a professional grifter gives you a lot of rewards, we'll say. So, you know, you really need to be questioning with people. And, you know, some people, when we talk about discernment, they're like, Oh, but you know, if I question X, Y, Z, then they're going to be offended. And my response to that is, yes, people do get offended when you question them, because ultimately they want you to believe things at a deep level psychologically, because they want you to feel connected to you. And that's a good way to get somebody to make somebody feel connected is for the people to share a common belief. Um, But, At a deeply spiritual level, at a responsibility level, you have the right to know the truth and you have the right to question them. Do it with tact, do it with compassion, be strategic, but you have the right to question them. And if they get all up in arms because they have to do more than just give you their word, then that's somebody you got to be a little wary of. You know. So I would say um, with respect to the irresponsibility, there are a lot of what I would say truth opportunists out there that are trying to catch the latest trend or wave Mm -hmm. and um you know want to make a buck or want to get a few dopamine serotonin hits because they got a lot of likes on whatever social media they're using and you got to be careful um you know are they like total knowing sociopaths that are just trying to like grift everybody on the planet maybe i don't know um but i do know psychologically that a lot of people engage in uh truth opportunism. And this is across the board, whether we're talking about somebody with 10 million followers, or just the guy that you meet in the store, who's happy to hear about somebody who's into conspiracies and just telling you everything that they've ever read, assuming it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people, like I said, they, they need to connect by sharing information. And psychologically, you know, we we have three types of intimacy, or actually four. We have intellectual intimacy, emotional intimacy, and physical intimacy. If there is no intellectual intimacy, then all the other types of intimacy are meaningless. Like I'm sure you've been in a relationship with somebody where you haven't said something to somebody and you're physically close to them, but it's like icky, like you don't want to really be around it. That's because you're not having honesty. So I bring this up because people at a very deep level that they're often not aware of, tends to proselytize or push beliefs or be disingenuous because ultimately they feel lonely and they want to connect with other people. And you got to take that into consideration because uh, only a handful of people, I would say, are openly sociopathic deceivers that just want to take advantage of people. So,
0: Yeah. And you bring up a good point there that we do we want intimacy with people who genuinely share the same beliefs. And that's, that's the kind of sticky situation we're in, in that all of us, you know, all of us, we've been typecasted as crazy conspiracy theorists. And we've been, we've all gone through some very painful, tough times, ostracized from our friends and family for these beliefs, et cetera, et cetera. So we're finding a community now through social media connecting to a lot of whether it's an influencer or people in comment sections or what have you we're connecting to them because they're saying what we want to hear but i mean we we don't really know these people i see assumptions cast all the time about myself and others out there uh the the talking heads the personalities i see assumptions cast about them by folks in comment sections that have never met them they don't know who these people really are they don't know what they do with their lives or, or anything. And there's just all these, you know, kind of general assumptions given about these people. So I don't know. I kind of just went off on a tangent here on a tirade, but it's, I think we need to be careful And, and we do have to give some space to the influencers or personalities out there that get some stuff wrong now. And again, that's fine. But I just don't think, you know, we're at a point in society right now where we can't afford to have our JV squad on the field, we need to, you know, we need to start getting our stuff together, or our society is just going to continue to crumble. And, you know, we we can't afford to have that kind of lazy discernment, irresponsible content creation, and whatnot. Uh, but on the other hand, we don't want to burn people at the stake just for getting a couple of things wrong here and there. And it's not bad to question you know, it's not bad to question. It doesn't mean they're a bad person because you're questioning so-and-so.
1: So, So,
0: I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you have thoughts on any of that? I was just kind of blabbing about there.
1: Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, we got to be careful. Like, I think we're tiptoeing around spiritual concepts when we talk about this stuff, because at the end of the day, you know, if when you're interacting with people, people are going to get, uh, misinformation they're going to all, you're going to encounter all sorts of different people wherever they're at with their discernment and their information process and you feel you can feel betrayed when somebody you place your confidence in turns out to be untrustworthy mm-hmm. and you know depending on your training so to speak you could want to lash out do all these things so i think it's remember good to remember that often even the worst people are trying to do the best way they can with what they have to work with and if you can be compassionate um it'll help a lot. And, you know, especially if you're dealing with people, you actually know, like your significant other, your children, your family, your bosses, things like this. Like, you know, if you are more compassionate, then you won't keep strong those hateful muscles in your own being that can sometimes lash out without your, your conscious intention. So
0: now you said the word trust. And when it comes to trust, I feel like people out there you use that word far too liberally and they place their trust in people far too easily. It's as if they see somebody say something they want to hear or what have you and they'll instantly label them as a patriot or this, this spiritual guru and placed all their trust in this person. But, you know, it's often said that trust needs to be earned and at the same time, I'm often asked myself, do I trust this person? Do I trust that person? And I'm I'm often put in a rough, rough spot there because trust them for what? I feel right. like trust needs to be contextualized. I can trust that go. CNN is going to lie to me. I can trust that maybe this person will have great info on election fraud or UFOs or vaccines, but I'm not going to trust that person for information about things they don't really have a clue about so what what is it uh what did the was the idea of trust bring up in you and how do you how do you trust people how do you distrust people how do you contextualize trust
1: yeah dude you nailed it the contextualizing trust that is basically the phrase right there because trust can't be generalized um you know here's a good example like i might trust my uh my 15-year-old son, I don't have a son right now, the hypothetical son, I might trust my 15-year-old son to mow the lawn, but am I going to trust him to drive 12 hours to go see my parents up in New England You know, with right. my car when he doesn't have a license? Not necessarily, he has to be qualified. So trust is a word that we use to describe when somebody has a command or an authority of to the extent that they can express a behavior that establishes a certain uh, standard of behavior. So what I mean by that is, I, I, if I can trust you, Jordan, to drive to the store to get me some things, there's a whole set of behaviors, skills. I have to know that you uh, trust that you can drive a car, that I can give you my money and you'll be able to take that money and use it at the store. So you have skills with buying things at stores. You know? So there's all these skills that have to be um, identified. And then what is your competence? So trust is about competence, right? Can you actually drive the car well? Can you actually buy the things on my grocery list well? Can you bring them back to me in a timely fashion? So my ice cream that I asked you to get isn't melted because you left it in your car for 12 hours, you know, things like this. So the, it seems as though the creator designed our level of reality so that there's a lot of nuance. And while we can say, you know, I trust Jordan and I do ju- generally trust him. Right. It means I would, that word in actual practicality means I have good faith in Jordan That basically, no matter what I want to do with him, I'm pretty sure we're going to be able to work together. But when it comes down to specifics, if I want to make sure we get a consistent result, if I say, hey, Jordan, let's go, I don't know, go on a cross-country tour, we're going to talk about epistemology. Well, there's a whole lot of things in there that we should really make sure are up to snuff, or we might go and launch out on this tour and come to find out we can barely work together because we just assumed everything was going to work out. Right. you nailed it. Trust has to be contextualized and vetted and these kind of things. And that's what the military does. And look how much they can do, you know. So
0: right. Yeah. I, I feel like people will automatically say, I trust this person on social media. And I'm often sitting there asking myself, well, why do you trust them? What are you trusting them for? And uh, things change as well. People change. Sometimes one day you can trust somebody for something, but having the trust in that person for the same thing the next day or the next month or a couple of years goes by, then maybe their skills change or they get a little lazier or maybe their skills improved and you used to be able to trust them for something you couldn't. And now you can. So yeah, there's just a lot of, a lot of nuance. I like that you uh, use that descriptor. There's a lot of nuance that goes into these ideas and assumptions that people are forming and you just have to be careful with those assumptions. Cause a lot of people are, are placing them. And yet they, they don't really have a basis for them. So, uh, we can go ahead and finish up here. You know, we can always do another one of these podcasts. There'll be plenty of opportunity to do them. I, I feel like you've done a fantastic job describing a lot of these ideas. And I feel like people are going to love this podcast. Um, are there any final thoughts that you want to throw out there for people who might be a little lost right now, trying to hone that discernment and figure out who to trust or not trust? Uh, what do you have to say to them?
1: Um, okay. Two things. One, nobody's a master at the starting gate. So wherever you're at in your process, just start every day and try to exercise these muscles, critical thinking muscles. Um, and then two, you know, do this, like I'm going to give everybody some homework. I want you to take something you believe, write it down in a piece of paper or put it in your phone's notebook and list the three reasons why you think that's true, whatever they are. And then take each of those three reasons and list three reasons why you think that is true and do that as many times as you reasonably can. And what that'll do is it'll start to exercise these critical thinking muscles and vetting muscles so that at the end of the day, hopefully you've got something you believe that you've tried to base in evidence or think critically about and assess. So to the extent that you feel really confident in it and, you know, you can move forward and then the last thing is that that the process never stops it's like there are things i thought i knew back when i started out that i had to reassess because new information came out or you know i didn't know what i was doing back then but now i'm a little bit more competent so right it, it, you know this idea that we can have easy rewards and success is so toxic in our world right now just get over that like just be like you know what it's going to be challenging but i'm going to try every day and just accept that this is the challenge of my life And if you accept that challenge and you work every day at learning how to do this better, you will have so much greater skill than the people around you that a strategic level, you'll be like years ahead. And at the very least, you'll have um, less fear of being misled when you place your confidence in something that you aren't sure about yet. So there you go.
0: Amazing conversation, Justin. I appreciate you taking the time to come on here today. And where can people go to find the bulk of your work? Are there any places you want to uh, plug in here real quick before we finish this up?
1: Yeah, uh, first, thanks, Jordan, for having me on. And um, yes, you can go to stillnessinthestorm.com. On that site is basically everything you can get access to into the storm, my show on rise.tv, my social media, everything, basically my podcast, it's all there.
0: I'll plug your website and your Telegram channel down there below. So uh, appreciate you coming on, Justin. We'll do this again soon.
1: Thanks, Jordan. Take care.
0: Take care.